the answer to difficult conversations is rev up. Mm-hmm. When you create a respectful, equal environment and treat people like you care about them, then you build a trusting relationship. And when I come to you and I say, John, I'm sorry, I know it's the fifth time I've done this, but something's come up. Mm. Are you going to believe me because we have a trusting relationship? Or are you going to say, there she goes again. She's always looking for an excuse. When Mm. you build a trusting relationship, then you will give the doubt to that person. So when you build those, you're going to have less awkward, difficult conversations. You're listening to The Big Asian Energy Show, where every week we interview Asian experts, move makers, and ceiling breakers to uncover their secrets of success so we can help you reach your greatest potential. I'm your host, John Wang. Let's dive in. Everyone, welcome back to Big Asian Energy. Today, I am interviewing Hilda Gan, who is an international best-selling author, motivational speaker, and the creator of Rev Up Your Potential. And before I dive in, I just want to say two things that Hilda and I have shared. First and foremost, it was actually just recently, I guess, on her podcast, Rev Up Your Potential. And if you haven't heard of that yet, go check it out. We dive in talking about experience of what it's like growing up as an Asian Canadian. I, I would say very unique cultural experiences, what it's like being that combination of Asian and Canadian. On her podcast, she was sharing with me her work and where she came from before she became a best-selling author and 25 years worth of experience as a facilitator creating all these kind of amazing content was she actually started with building a, a national engineering firm that was recognized as best workplaces in Canada, one of the top 10 places, and Canada's best managed companies finalist. So this is a really fascinating journey because she's not a facilitator or a teacher who learned a program and is teaching it. She learned it from hands-on experience, building that kind of culture, building that kind of workplace to the top. And I think that's such a rare thing that we just don't see from not just, I would say, Asian Canadians, but from from anyone who's trying to build a business or or run a business. So I'm really excited to dive in today to talk a little bit more about what RevUp is, how do we rev up our own confidence, stepping to our greatest power. And I think this is a question that so many of us experience on a day-to-day basis. I just got to go through this because there's so many amazing things she's done. She's also the creator of People Bright Consulting, which is an HR consulting and leadership training company that helps companies build healthy, inclusive organizations. Come to the show, Hilda. I just, I'm just so excited. There's so many things I want to talk about. I feel big Asian energy inside me. <laughs> that introduction. I think this is what we're both about, right? We are really both driven to how do we help people step into the greatest power. And that to me is what RevUp is. But I'm going to let you take over and explain a little bit. What is RevUp and what does it mean? So RevUp actually is an acronym. And so let me just step back. You did mention that about this engineering company. My husband decided at one point, he says, I want to start my own engineering company. So I wanted to be there to support him. I was a nurse at the time in my own career. And I thought, okay, fine, I'll help him as I can. So I was doing my job full time and helping him part time. And my background was in education. It was in being manager and being part of a hospital. All of the things that are happening from a regulatory 
did we know that we would grow that from two people who thought, wouldn't it be nice if people loved what they did and loved where they work and grow it to 125 people, seven offices across Canada? No, we did not think that. But when we realized we did that, we were so proud of what we created. The staff were proud of where they worked. And we put it out there. We said, okay, we're tired of these little best top 10, best small, medium-sized employers. Let's go for something bigger. And that's when we went for best workplaces in Canada. And to be nationally recognized as top 10 in our 10th anniversary. And and we even won the finals in our softball league. And we were competing about- with many of our local engineering companies around our so it was a big coup. So let's just start from the beginning because you mentioned this earlier and I'm really interested. I know a lot of people who are, you know, entrepreneurs, they want to start and create a business and not many people, I would say, succeed in chasing and pursuing that dream. Very it sounds like if we're starting from the beginning, you and your husband were not entrepreneurs to begin with. Is that right? This was our first entrepreneurial experience, but we both come from entrepreneurial families. My husband's parents and grandparents owned Chinese restaurants. And my father and mother had a grocery store. So Mm. I guess it was in my DNA, although I didn't know it was in my DNA until I started my fourth business. I guess I am an entrepreneur. I was there to support him and help him with the knowledge that I had. But he was entrepreneurial in spirit right from the start. And somebody said to him, you can do better. He was a VP. And of all of the departments in his company, there were only two departments that were making money. The company Mm. made money, but these two departments and my husband's was one of them. So he decided he had his own ideas. Like I said, wouldn't it be nice if people loved what they did and want to come to work? So with these kind of values of being nice, we decided to start our own company and quality was there and he was known for his experience. So two people, by the end of the first year, 10 people. That's amazing. I heard this word nice in there. That got my curiosity. So when you guys first started this, first and foremost, this is your first fourth business or his fourth business that you guys have started? This is my fourth business. He did it with a big bang. And I, while I was waiting for it to grow, I quit my business and I quit my job at the hospital and decided to do something as well. So I did some management, health-related management consulting, plus working for the company. Mm. So that's why I ended up with four different jobs. Because when we sold the business, I started something small. And then I decided, no, I need to do People Bright. Before you and your husband started the engineering business, you had been working at a hospital. And then you guys decided, hey, we have this he idea. Decided. Let's... He decided. Oh, he decided. I don't take credit for it, but I did help really build that business. Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that's the thing about when you found a, a small business like that. It's can anyone dip their toes in it? No, I think that everyone is just fully in it. Yeah. But you yeah. said that you guys started this business with an mission, and it's an interesting mission. You guys set out to create a community and an environment yeah. in a workplace that was nice. What does that mean? Nice means that you care about people and you treat them with importance. And that's where RevUp comes in. We actually would develop our engineers. We started a company in 1996. He said, none of this two weeks vacation. We're talking 1996. Everybody, no matter what role they play, three weeks. Everybody's getting three weeks vacation. Mm, right? So that's right. being nice, right? It's thinking about 
the people when you're making decisions and caring about them. And we would spend time speaking with each person and asking, what do you want your career to look like and evolve to? And when we could, then we would nurture challenges for that growth and areas to get that exposure and training. It's really where RevUp came from. When we sold the business, I thought of all the things that I love to do, and I wore many of the corporate hats once we grew to a size, I was essentially the COO op mm. managing the operations side. And I said, of all the things that I did at iTrans, that's the name mm. of the company, mm. the thing I loved most was the human resources side. Great. And so I decided that I wanted to help other companies who probably want to create a place that they're proud of, not just mm -hmm. the money that they're making, but that the people that they work with, they value them and they feel like they're helping them grow the business, but they either don't have the time expertise or the ability to figure out how to do that effectively. So I thought, why don't I create a company that helps those companies who care about the people build a healthy company where the people will want to stay with you, join you uh, and be part of your organization. Mm. And so the concept of RevUp came from, so how do we articulate what we did for our staff, all the things that we did. And the first, I was driving along in a car and all of a sudden I'm trying to think, what should, how do I explain this without spending 20 minutes saying, this is what we did for all our staff. Was this when you guys were still running the, the business? No, after we sold the business and I was starting my own business to help other companies uh -huh. be a better business that cared about their people. That's uh -huh. when the concept came to me. So I was driving in the car and thinking, what did we do back then that I can articulate succinctly? Mm -hmm. And the word rev up came to me because okay. there were three values that we always instilled in, and I knew them off the top of my head. We treated our staff with respect. And I don't mean respect the way I want to be treated. It's mm -hmm. respect the way they want to be treated. Mm -hmm. And then we looked at them as equals. And this was so important in our DNA. We encouraged everybody to think that they were equally important as anybody else in the organization. Now, sometimes I had to help the VPs who felt like they were here and somebody was here. So they would never say that they weren't equals in front of me. They might think that, but they certainly knew my position. And I remember one of our admin people, she was interviewing somebody else for an admin role. And that person said, so Lori, what do you like about working here? And she said, I like the fact that I feel equal to my boss. And her boss was one of the VPs. Oh, and wow. I said, yes, this is what we are trying to instill in our staff. If you think of teams, everybody's role in a hockey team or a basketball team should be equally important. Because if you don't have your people all doing their job to the best of their ability, you're not going to be that winning team that wins the cup. You may have stars within there, but if you have a weak link that doesn't do their job, it's not going to make it to the finals. Equality was another piece and value, making people feel wanted and feeling that you care about them. So mm. Those three were important. So I thought, oh, geez, those are three concepts. And then all of a sudden the word rev up came. So the mm. first three, respect, equality and value. And the up came because I remember how we looked at each person individually. We spent mm -hmm. time talking to them, nurturing them. 
So we look at them for their uniqueness. And then we took their skills and their abilities and really built that. So we tapped into their potential and the word rev up was discovered. Wow. I love that. So rev up stands for respect, equality, value, uniqueness, and potential. And it valued with a D because it's valued as in I value you. So you are valued. Got it. Valued. And so these five are these kind of five core principles that you now help companies in the HR space, it sounds, develop for their programs and their employees? Yes. The word rev up was so important. And I just started my company, but I knew that I had something special. I didn't want to share it. I kept it a secret until I could actually begin training. I was starting my company and I was trying to help people do HR consulting. Nobody Mm -hmm. really at that point wanted management training from me. I had to establish myself. I'd been out of the loop, so to speak. So I kept the word rev up quiet for about two years before I actually began to share it. And then people would start earning it, learning about it. And then now I own it. I embrace it because I know that it really is like big Asian energy. It means a lot. And it's so simple. Yeah. It's not a, Personal. here's the five steps to how you can improve your work. <laughs> Number one, treat people with respect and kindness. Number two. So it's compact, it's succinct, and anybody can use it. You don't need to mm. take a training program. But mm. what I did was I honed in on my rev up. And I thought, if I'm training somebody, I need articulate uniqueness in a more quantifiable way than saying, okay, John, you were born in Vancouver or Mm. wherever, and I'm born in Toronto. We're unique. Just by that one thing, we're unique now, right? You have a different last name, et cetera. So I couldn't just make it fluffy and say you're unique. I needed to quantify it. So let's quantify this because I'm really curious to hear about it. I get the sense I love these values, respect, equalities, feeling valued and, and seeing the potential in people having grown a company from two employees all the way to 125. What are the biggest issues that you're seeing that companies are running into? Maybe mistakes are they making right now? Well, that's different because now we're in COVID times, right? Or post-COVID mm-hmm. times. Biggest thing that happened during COVID was that people found time to discover who they were and what they want in life. And those companies that say, okay, COVID's over. The emergency is no longer global. And then people saying, okay, come back to work. Tell us, okay, you don't want to come back five days. Okay, tell us three days you want to come back to work. There is no collaboration decision-making. I, as an individual now, have lived working in a different kind of world for three years. And I may find that this remote work works better for me. Mm. Or I moved away because there was no need to work in the downtown core anymore. So now I'm in Peterborough and Mm. I've been working fine for two years. So I think what has happened is people need to understand individuals better. And those individuals have learned to understand their uniqueness a little bit better. Maybe not well, but at least that. And I think If COVID's taught us anything, it's that, number one, people have been really stressed during COVID. So mental health is a bigger issue than it was before. Statistically, 20% of people have suffered mental health issues prior to COVID. That's closer to 25. That means one in four. 
Right. So we need to spend more time helping people balance and get back their physical wellness. And they've discovered a little bit more about what they want in life. So companies need to now be more people-centered. And part of that is, I think one of the important things is teaching managers to be better at their people skills. What do you think that is the biggest problem that's keeping managers from doing this right now? I think part of it is history. We've always taught people, go to school, Mm. you get that engineering degree, you get that pharmacy degree, you get that, and use your technical skills to rise. And Mm. yet Carnegie Institute says, 85% of your financial success is a result of your ability to communicate, lead, and negotiate. 15% is due to your technical skills. (laughs) And yet we still call these soft-sided skills. I like to talk to them as non-technical skills. And yet people need to develop their communication effectiveness. And they need to understand that we all communicate differently. We need to learn that. So going back to that uniqueness piece, one of the things that I decided to do, if I'm going to teach people how to communicate better, how to create more healthy, inclusive work cultures, then I need to address uniqueness other than the fact that we're all unique. I needed Mm. to quantify that. I found a tool that resonates with me and it's called Fascination Advantage. There are different, people have heard of Myers-Briggs and DISCs and Strength Finders. Some people have heard about Fascination Advantage. And Fascination Advantage is different than those other three because many tools are psychometric. They think about how you see the world. Fascination tool looks at how the world sees you. Do you come across as that warm, passionate, feeling or that creative out-of-the-box thinker or the detailed person who who knows how to get from A to Z and, and just would love to be knee-deep in A to Z explanations. There are seven different languages in the fascination box. I've given you three of them. They're labeled as passion, which is the people mm-hmm. skills. The creative one is the innovators. The one that I talked about, the detailed, they're alert. Yep. I'm a prestige. I'm quality driven. I'm continuously trying to improve things. Myself, process, anything. <laughs> I'll try to improve anything and everything. So there are seven of these languages. And it's similar to the, those other ones. You do five minutes in assessment. Then okay. you find out your top two languages. And I don't want to get into too much detail, but when you discover your top two languages in this report, you then begin to use those. And when you use those, you speak with confidence. And when you speak with confidence, you develop trusting relationships with people. In other words, I'm saying, I'm challenging people, discover who you are and share your best side, your most fascinating side with others. Because when you do, you will show your confidence and you will create trusting relationships. And that's part of my premises when I'm teaching Rev Up. I'm actually teaching people to gain confidence in who they are as leaders and to Mm. nurture their staff, to build them up, to be confident in who they are. Because when we build people's confidence, then they can do more skills and be more confident in that skills. And then they can build more confidence. But when we do the opposite, when we belittle people for what they didn't do, we micromanage them. What does Mm. that do to their skill level? 
shattered right. a little bit. What yeah. does that do to their confidence? Shattered a little bit. And mm -hmm. so we have this game of snakes and ladders where we can build people up in their skills and confidence, or we can degrade them down mm -hmm. to be lack of confidence and lack of skills. Got it. So I want to come back to this fascination advantage. Uh, this is the first time I've ever heard of it. And I am fascinated. It, it sounds like you're telling me there's this metric by which we are seen. And unlike the other psychometrics like MBTI, Myers-Briggs, these kind of things that we were a little bit more familiar with, which is usually yeah. how yeah. we communicate outwards, yeah. this is how others view us. And mm. there are seven different, are these archetypes that we are there are seven different languages There's and when you combine languages. the top two it shows up as 49 archetypes wow <laughs> okay some of the archetypes have really interesting names like the rock star the mice oh um, i can't wait to do this like when you're stressed yeah or too much of a good thing is not a good thing so when a passion person gets stressed they might become melodramatic or when the power person becomes stressed, they uh -huh. become dogmatic. I told you to do it. Uh... This is the way you have to do it. As I said, one of mine is prestige. And so when I get anxious, then my thing is, my, I might sound arrogant. We've always done it this way. Boy. What are you, right? <laughs> yeah. I think the beauty of it is really, it helps validate people. Because some people are on a journey uh -huh. of self-discovery. And they say, I think I come across as a warm, caring person. And then uh -huh. when they see this report, which is beautifully done in a very positive way, uh -huh. is a very positive, nurturing way of sharing your strengths and what we'll call your dormant. So they don't even say you have a weakness. They say dormant. So dormant is in, this is the one communication style in the fascination that we don't use as much or language often? think of it as language fluency like english is my yeah. mother tongue because i don't speak sure. chinese as well and so when i i speak it very fluently but if sure. you ask me to speak french which i learned in high school <laughs> then it's a little, like i have to use my brain really hard i'll get tired I, I might be able to do it but i certainly won't convince you that i'm fluent in it so mm. we call that your dormant it's a very fascinating thing. I'm a certified advisor, and I just love the tool that I use to help people really find their confident selves. The path to confidence, it sounds like you're saying, is finding out what your communication language is of the fascination advantage and communicating more deeply in that style. That's just one aspect. I think oh we are on a lifelong journey, mm. and I think your lifelong journey should be find who you are. And find hmm. the confidence in you, who you are. I know that oftentimes people will say that being Asian, you don't always feel like you fit. And how did I find myself? And sometimes people will make you feel like you don't belong. Mm -hmm. you know, like your own home country, you don't belong. I think that when you are confident in who you are, it doesn't matter if you're Greek or Chinese or South Asian. When you come across confident, you gain respect from those other people they might say oh geez mm -hmm. you, i've never met somebody like you you really know your stuff and i think yeah mm -hmm. you know what i think you're saying behind that is because of my color but having said that i think what people need to do the best thing right. you can do for yourself is confidence find how, how do you find your confidence as i say it's a lifelong journey it's discovering who you are mm -hmm. and practicing those mm -hmm. things as an HR professional, we 
always taught people about evaluations mm -hmm. and before, not so much now in the last five to 10 years, before we would sit you down, we would tell you, John, these are the things you're good at. Maybe you need to, to take a sales course because mm. you could bring in a few more dollars. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's not what you love to do. That's not your passion, but somehow that's part of your job role. So mm. what we do is we find your weakest link and we send you to something to help your weakest link. What we should be doing and what you should be doing is finding what I'm good at and continuing to become stronger, more confident, mm. more capable. Be the expert in who you are. And that's the fascination thing is that be the person you are meant to be. Different is better than better. So we're not looking for you to be a whole rounded person. Find those things that make you unique and shine in those areas. And how do we find? Because I think that's something that when I talk to a lot of people, especially those of us who you mentioned before that there's this 85% people skills, 15% technical skills, but yeah, so many people that I meet and, and many of them are Asian Canadians or Asian Americans. We were trained in those technical skills. So people yeah. skills didn't come as naturally to us. Yeah. This idea of being this unique person, I think it sounds great, but it's also something that when I look at them, I'm like, what makes me unique? And, or what makes me know, how do I find and nurture that uniqueness? Yes. Yeah, so I guess I'm going to have you do uh, the fascination adventure. Can we do that? And I will have like <laughs> the one-on-one -on -one conversation of really yeah. helping. It's interesting because I remember training this manager, this entrepreneur, she's South mm -hmm. Asian, and she was starting to build an after-school program. And mm -hmm. she'd hired all of these young people who had really come fresh out of teacher's college. Mm -hmm. And they had nice, fancy titles of director already, but they were her future. They were going to grow her mm -hmm. company in different areas. And so she said, Hilda, I want you to do a training program. Get right down to the beginnings of organizational management, time management, do some one-on-one -on -one coaching. And I said, can you allow me to do the fascination tool? Because when I do that, it'll make the one-on-one -on -one coaching a little bit more intense. And we had this one person who was really organized, capable of managing the company. And then we had this another person who was quiet, more soft-spoken. Uh, she was a listener type. We call them mystiques in the language of fascination. Mm. It's just, I, I can't be like this person. I, I can't be a leader like that. And when we went through her tool... And she knew that she was a quiet person, but she saw that now as a strength from reading. She said, I know I can be a good manager now. And she knew how she could do it using her strengths. And so that's the thing is you need to find your own strengths. There are key moments in my life that have helped me gain that confidence. I'll share this one anecdote with yeah, you. Yeah. So when you're a teenager, you're, you've got growing pains, right? <laughs> We've all got growing pains. But this yeah. one day... It was probably a day like May. Oh, it's really cool. I'm going downtown. I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe meeting friends for whatever. I just feel on top of the world. I feel at least five feet three. I'm only five feet one, right? <laughs> I just feel so tall. And I yeah. get on the bus, go down to the subway station, and I get on the subway, and the subway doors are closing. And the subway doors close, and I can see myself. And I'm, I'm strutting my stuff, right? And I look at myself in the mirror. We're talking a 20-minute ride now. There are curlers in my hair, mm. all wrapped up here. And I'm going, 
oh my god and i'm, I'm just slowly <gasps> taking them down this was a message to me it wasn't how i looked outside i was wearing rollers in my hair with pins and and things and i yeah. looked cool i looked cool because yeah. i felt yeah. cool right and that taught me a valuable lesson it's how you feel inside not how people see you. It's how you feel inside. Mm -hmm. And that lesson, sometimes it gets shaken up, but that lesson was a powerful lesson for me. Because you found that confidence was an internal drive that we created. Yeah. And that's the kind of validation. that we and Too often, and we're negatively wired to self-doubt ourselves, to mm -hmm. always downgrade ourselves. So the person inside you is shrinking. And when it shrinks, mm -hmm. you shrink and you look like you shrink. And yet that person was so confident and they looked a little weird. <laughs> you mentioned uniqueness through finding the fascination of Antish and find their language. Do you teach people how it is to own and embrace their uniqueness? Because uniqueness is not always seen by some people as, as a positive word. Sometimes we have sometimes negative sorry, connotations attached to uniqueness. We yes, don't want to yes. seem different, um, especially for Asian and Canadians or, or immigrants. That uniqueness can sound scary. I'm on a mission to help as many people as I can mm -hmm. be more confident in who they are. Mm -hmm. I just happen to be doing it right now in the human resources field because I ran a business and I feel I can help managers and companies do that. But I do work with people one-on-one -on -one as well. And what I find is that we do need to help by practicing, by finding that. And there's a movement called hashtag I am remarkable. Hashtag I am remarkable. This is a Google initiative started by a, a couple of women who decided that women were not represented well in the work world. What they wanted to do was help women bolster their confidence and self-promote who they are so that they can get a sense of belonging and equality in the world. And within a, a year or two, they discovered that it wasn't just women. It was underrepresented communities of which Asian, South Asian, you know, LGBTQ are all underrepresented communities. And what this is a free 90 minute workshop that people can take mm -hmm. to help them gain confidence in who they are and to self promote. And one of the slides in it says, if it's fact, it's not bragging. Mm. If it's fact, it's not bragging. And when you think about it, who's going to tell your story to others if you don't share it out loud? Nobody will know your story if you don't mm. share it. So when I heard about this workshop, and it's free, so anybody can take it, companies can take it as well. I just did a training program, uh, a 90-minute webinar for a, a financial management company. And I've done three different workshops, so I'll continue to do them every one to two months. Uh, I will offer a hashtag I remarkable. There are over a half a million people who've taken this program now wow. and thousand facilitators around the world, all wanting to help people get confident in self-promotion. So it so aligns with my mission my rev up concept that I had to become one of these facilitators. Mm -hmm. And what they find statistically is that a lot of people 
discover they go into new jobs after it. They gain confidence. I taught somebody, my first training program was in December. I took my workshop in November and the person emailed me in January and said, Hilda, I just got my HR designation and I decided to put it on LinkedIn and mm -hmm. it didn't feel like bragging. Oh, wow. And this was somebody who during the workshop never showed her face. She was off camera the whole time. And at the end, when I said, I want to take a picture of everybody, anybody who doesn't want to be in the picture, let me know. And mm. so she zoned herself out and I put a big icon there of the I am remarkable hashtag. So oh, I love so it. it was her to say that it didn't yeah. feel like bragging. Mm -hmm. And this was just a month later after she took it. So again, another thing that can help people get more confidence is to take that ownership. I will be doing mine. I, I show it up on Eventbrite or go into the hashtag I am remarkable website mm -hmm. and you can pick a, find a course to take again. Oh. There are many because there are 4,000 of us and we <laughs> try to do one or two. Uh, I, I try to do one every one to two months. I love that. Okay, everyone, if you're listening to this and you want to develop the skill and knowing how to better promote yourself, go check this out. Go look it up. When you've been working in the HR space now, especially training and facilitating, not to mention your own background for several years now, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you see in this field right now? I think the human resources professionals need to have a seat at the table. They've always talked about that. And I go back to this. When you are confident in who you are and you share that, you mm -hmm. will gain the respect of the people around you. Mm -hmm. I have always felt 90% of the time I felt a respect with people that I work with. And that's mm -hmm. because I respect them too. It's a two-way street. Companies need to recognize that during COVID, so much was going on and HR was a pivotal voice mm -hmm. to help companies survive more so than ever. HR really should be heard mm. to help people understand. Now, some HRs only look at it through human resources eyes only. What they need is for human resources people to also look at it through business eyes. And I think what people love about me is that because I've been in the business world, I have sure. that pragmatic what's good for people, but what's good for company? Because if you do too much for people, you could go bankrupt because you don't have a profit. <laughs> you got to have and sales. So you got to balance those two. So there's a pragmatic approach to what mm -hmm. I do. But I think more so is that if companies who just focus on building profit, they are not going to survive post-COVID. Because right. remember I said, people have stayed at home. They understand the value of what their needs are. And for mm -hmm. some, it's working from home and that balance of work life. For some, it's finding the passion of the work that they want to do, not the work that they had been doing. Mm -hmm. And then is the ability for people then, companies, to think about how do I create that people-centric organization? And when you read magazines like Forbes and and in similar magazines, you'll see statistically those companies that balance people and profit are 10 times, five times greater sales and revenues than companies that just focus on the bottom line. So mm -hmm. the challenge is to convince more and more companies to invest in their people. 
And I feel the key to organizations is the managers. They are in a pivotal point. They have the ability to uplift and motivate their teams. They have the ability to listen for the uniqueness of their staff and tap into that. Because when you feel valued and important and you're nurtured, what's that going to do? You're going to want to stay. You're going to want to belong. You're going to say, this is a great job and they're paying me to do this. Like, how cool would that be? And I've been fortunate. Like, I wanted to be an educator. I was a nurse. And then I thought, I really like to teach. So mm-hmm. I worked and worked. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to teach. And I'm sitting in the library and thinking, I'm getting paid to, to <laughs> learn about all these exotic diseases. And then I get to yeah. scurry upstairs and tell the nurses about what to look for all these diseases. Oh We've had reunions of our company. And people will say, There'll never be another eye trans. That was special. We didn't know when we were leaving that it was uh, that other companies weren't like that. And I'm going, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. We did create something really special, and I'm proud of it. And I I certainly want to be out there to help companies who really want to make a difference. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. What do you think is going to happen down the road for this? And you mentioned that you think HR needs to see the table. I fully agree with you. I think when you look at businesses, you know, as you said, that are focused on the team and developing that, it's key. And this is what I've been hearing a lot in this space is we're seeing this shift where more and more young people, uh, actually, I would say more and more people across almost every group are reflecting on life differently. We're, we're hearing terms like quiet quitting. We're hearing more and more teams shifting focuses or, or just leaving. And there's a lot of turbulence in this right now. So how can companies that are interested in making sure that their team and, and their talent aren't walking around the door, how can they help bring, make sure that HR is a seat at the table? I think that the companies of the future, and it is reflective of the people that are entering the workforce, they want a balance in life, right? You have to evolve with the times mm-hmm. and COVID has shaken us up. So every company should be evaluating strategically. What does that mean for our company? Same old won't cut it. Mm-hmm. And I think they have to listen to that younger workforce because that younger workforce is the voice of tomorrow and the needs of today. I find those companies that are socially responsible and environmentally responsible are important. This younger generation cares. They care about this world and they care about working for companies that align with those beliefs. Most people will not stay in or should not stay in a company where their belief systems don't align. And mm-hmm. statistics will show you that when somebody arrives and they were sold Here's the greener's grass. Come join us and work for our company because we offer A, B, C, and D. And on week one, nobody talks to them. They don't go out for lunch with anybody. And they find that corporate social responsibility was, so people will leave. Companies need to figure out and be honest and show integrity. And I think Tyrone and I, that's my husband, we really believed in creating a company that we were proud of. And our values, I guess our parents brought us right. We had the sense of integrity and we wanted to create a company that had strong values. I remember him sitting down with our company within the first, we had eight people at that time, month five or six. And he said, so we've got people coming and they want to either to sell them stuff at a cheap price, or do we want to be a company known for our quality and our value? Mm -hmm. 
And he opened that up. This is like that open concept. And he asked people and they said, if I wanted to do cheap and dirty, I could go anywhere. I, I like this. And so we all voted and we all believed we wanted to be known for our integrity and our quality. So that's an incredible value and that's an incredible mission. I'm so curious to hear this because you mentioned that if we want companies to succeed, they have to be able to demonstrate that integrity. I feel like most companies will look at them and they're like, we have integrity, but how do we help managers actually express and identify that? It's part of teaching managers to be managers. Let's face mm. it. How many of us took managerial training in our courses? None. <laughs> And, and I yeah. remember my brother, he was a doctor. When he was going through school, they had one behavioral course, behavioral oh. training course. And his class decided to revolt. They said, we either got it or we don't got it. Wow. So why should we take this? And all of them refused. They didn't have to take it. And I said, really, really? This is the one chance for you to be a nice doctor. Wow. Wow. My point being is we do not emphasize teaching people, even in public school. Mm -hmm. When you think about it, remember, we all have been in projects since yeah. we were what in, in grade two yep. in university. By university, you're smart. Okay, I want John on my team and James because I know they're smart. They'll get it done and we'll work and we want an A, right? Yep. So you pick those teams, but do do you figure out, oh, this guy's lazy. He doesn't know what to do. All right, we'll just do it. We'll work around him. We'll work around him. Then we'll complain that yep. you should get a seat. We need to teach people how to communicate. And that's the other thing that I do is I teach how to communicate effectively. And I'm, I'm actually doing a training course to a company tomorrow night because they have offices in Australia and, and <laughs> India. And then the, the next day for the rest of, of the company. And I do difficult conversations because I mm -hmm. feel communication's always been important to me. Even in our marriage, my husband and I had to be good at communicating with each other. So I created a thing called difficult conversations, how to master difficult conversations with confidence. And I have five easy steps on what you should do to help that. And the answer to difficult conversations is rev up. When you create a respectful, equal environment and treat people like you care about them, mm. then you build a trusting relationship. And when I come to you and I say, John, I'm sorry, I know it's the fifth time I've done this, but something's come up. Mm. Are you going to believe me because we have a trusting relationship? Or are you going to say, there she goes again. She's always looking for an excuse. When mm. you build a trusting relationship, then you will give the doubt to that person. So when you build those, you're going to have less awkward, difficult conversations. But then I also teach you when you need to have difficult conversations, here's the five steps. I don't have an acronym for it. Here's the five steps that you need to follow. And you need to practice because I've been at the other end of that when I was like in my 20s and I'm sitting there and going, what are they going to say? What's the five steps when you're to have a difficult conversation or how to deal with a difficult person? Okay, the five steps. Number one, start from a place of neutrality. Never make that accusation. Say, Hilda, that's the fifth time you've come to me. Mm. I think you're lying. No doubt. Yeah. If you said, geez, that's five times in the last month. Is everything yeah. okay? Yeah. Is everything okay? Like mm. now I haven't accused you of anything. 
I'm inquiring. So make sure that your first statement about this Mm -hmm. awkward conversation is neutral, Mm open-ended, no judgment. Mm -hmm. And then it buys you time. The fluttering in your heart goes away. Now you just have to listen and you can just calm down. The first time you open your mouth, it's always the biggest word. So that's number one. And the second one is listen. Don't listen to comment. You know how we always think, oh, I know how to answer that in 30 seconds. (laughs) Listen. And then when you think you've heard enough, just listen some more. Hmm. And just repeat that until you feel you have everything. Now, you can ask a question, but don't give an answer. So spend time listening Mm because then they feel you've heard them and you feel that you've heard them. And now you can figure out, now what are we going to do? So the third thing is start to work towards a resolution Mm. together. Not, okay, I've heard you. I've decided that you need two-day suspension. Listen and have said, so this is what I heard. What can we do together to make sure this doesn't happen again? Or what can I do to help you? Because it sounds like you're having some concerns and I'd Mm -hmm. like to be helpful. Again, depending on whatever it is, your answer will be one that helps a resolution together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then the fourth thing is if you don't know an answer, don't say something. Mm. Just say, that's a good point. I need time to think about this. So let me get back to you. And then mm. the fifth thing is to follow up. Don't, you know, oh yeah, we were just going to talk about a month ago on that. Yeah, let's talk about it now. Just mm. make sure. And that's my five steps. Wow, I love that. <laughs> and I think the first one, it's the hardest one. It's but the hardest if one. you can plan the nice, neutral, open-ended thing, mm. yep. then that will buy your butterflies and stomach time for that person to talk. Absolutely. Because we all go in, we, we're going into the situation, we want to be right first. But when we start with a point of neutrality, then that suggests that let's find an, a point in which we could both get what we want together. Sorry, there's no acronym, but there are only five steps. <laughs> no. And I think they're really good. I think they're they're really fantastic. Good. Thank you so much. I, for there's a book, Adam Grant. Mm-hmm. And what he says is that argue like you're right and listen like you're wrong. Oh, I listen love that. Like you're wrong. Like right because you want to hear stuff that will help you understand better. Mm. So yeah, we think we're right. So yeah, it's people, you're right. But yeah. listen like you're wrong because you want to learn something for somebody you never know. I thought, that's, wow, yeah. that's a really good piece of information. I argue like you're right, listen like you're wrong. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to go look this up. It reminds me of books like Nonviolent Communication, which I've always thought was a really funny name for a system of communication. But it has a similar kind of idea of starting from a position of united curiosity, right? It's you're taking responsibility for your own language, but then you're trying to find a way through to the other person and connect with them. When you look at conversations, communication, you should always look at a win situation. When you win and somebody else wins, it makes for healthier conversations. When people are assertive, they're out to win at all costs. That makes you feel terrible. I'll share with you my fascination advantage now that yes, I'm what you call, my archetype is called the victor. The victor sounds like I'm out to win at all costs, and that's not who I am. So I thought, 
Well, I don't like that. Prestige is my primary, which is the language of continuous improvement. I'm mm. always seeking to improve myself, my processes, maybe other people. <laughs> and my secondary is power, the language of decision, making decisions. Mm. So that combination is called the victor. My twin, who is power first and prestige second, they're called the maestro. And they're like a conductor trying to create things. And mm. I remember talking to my coaching advisor when I was taking my fascination advantage designation. And she said, no, Hilda, that's a really good one. The victor is about creating winning solutions. That's who I am all my life. Whenever I've been confronted with problems, I look for win. Right. Mm. So then now I can say that I am the victor. But on first blush, the victor sounds like it's out to win at all costs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it aligns with my name as well. My name is Hilda. Mm -hmm. And my father wanted me to not have the typical Chinese girls' names. And in those days, they were Linda, Susie, and May. Not for my daughter. And there was a there's a church across the street called St. Hilda's Anglican Church. And we went to the library one year and we got the names, my brothers, Richard, Danny, and they're the king and strength. Yeah. Hilda is battle maiden. So now I understand that battle maiden is about going to victory, helping others, almost like a Joan of Arc kind of person. So I have now embraced my name, Hilda. I've embraced the victor and I'm on a journey of confidence and building confidence. But there were moments like finding out your name's battle maiden when you're not a fighter that kind of makes you wonder who you are. My wish for people is to be on a journey of self-discovery. When you find anecdotes like my curlers in my hair, <laughs> learn to embrace what that means. The hidden gem for you. What is that story telling you? Even those adversity ones are telling you something, giving you the strength to move on and to face the next day, the next challenge. And, and by the time you get to be my age, having difficult conversations, it's not so bad anymore. It really isn't. But when I was 20, 30... It sounds like it'll be pretty easy with those five steps that you outlined, especially. Why is it so easy? Or why is it not so difficult? And everybody says, Hilda, could you talk to them for me? And I began to articulate what is it that makes... What would I advise people? And I came up with my five steps, which I've been using and sharing and created a, a workbook for, for people to use. Wow. So if people want to find out more about RevUp or the techniques and the frameworks and all this work that you do and the training that you provide, what's the best place for them to find it? There's lots of stuff on my website. The fascination advantages there, the hashtag I'm remarkable, webinars that I've taught on various topics. I, during COVID, I stayed quiet and I did 30 webinars on human resources from March to December because I wanted to help companies. So tons of stuff there. And RevUp is there as well. www.peoplebrightconsulting.com. Perfect. When you look up Hilda Gann, there's no sequential number there. It's just Hilda Gann. <laughs> Thank you so much once again, Hilda, for taking time out of your busy day to be here today to share with us your wisdom and all information. Guys, check out her website, peoplebrightconsulting.com. We'll make sure to have that link and learn more about the Fascination Advantage and all of her work.
Thank you so much again for coming on board today. As Asian Americans, we are as strong as our collective community. So if there's something that you found valuable in this episode, share it with a friend and tag us on social media. And if you like the show, leave us a review and send a screenshot and you might win some big Asian energy merch, which we give out every month. So you can go out there and own your big Asian energy.